You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Good morning, good morning. Anita Marks with you on this Sunday morning. Um, yesterday was an abbreviated show. Today, a, uh, a little extension uh, with you until 1230 this afternoon. Why? Well, we take you right into the Knicks pregame show. And, of course, the Knicks and the 76ers battle it out uh, right here on 98.7 ESPN today at 1 o'clock. Tim Bontemps is going to be joining us uh, at noon. Uh, We'll dive into that 76ers matchup with the Knicks with him leading into, of course, the Knicks pregame show. Excited to talk to Tim, especially after what we saw from the 76ers in uh, James Harden's uh, debut game, even though it wasn't in Philly. It was on the road in Minnesota against the T-Wolves, and, uh, and boy, did they look great. So excited to get Tim on. Also, we'll hear from Cynthia Freeland today as well. We are uh, embarking on a really uh, crazy, insane free agency period, especially when it comes to the quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, marinating this for a minute, we might have anywhere between 15 to 17 quarterbacks. Think about it. Out of 32 teams, we might have anywhere between 15 to 17 quarterbacks have a new home and grace a new uniform heading into this coming NFL season. I just, I I just, I I don't, I don't ever remember a time where free agency was, uh, there's so many question marks heading into free agency at the quarterback position, which Again, I have said time and time again, I feel is the most important position in all of professional sport. So uh, Cynthia and I, we we take a little tour around the NFL and uh, discuss where we think certain players are going to go. Uh, You've got the the combine, uh, the NFL combine that is going to be kicking off next week in Indianapolis. I typically, it's my favorite week of the year. I, I typically go, but uh, because of COVID, there's still a lot of restrictions that, that are taking place. So not a lot of uh, opportunity there to mix and mingle uh, the way that we used to pre-COVID, but that's okay. You know, hopefully another year under our belt in, uh, in trying to contain this damn thing, uh, maybe things will get back to normal. But Cynthia Freeland is, is, is headed there. I am not, and I'm sure that's one of the things about the combine. Once the combine, I, there's a lot of speculation happening right now, right? And the the domino effect really does begin and end with Aaron Rodgers in regard to what he's going to do. Once, once I, I think, because there are teams out there that, I mean, Avi would love to have Aaron Rodgers. And once he decides to do, whether he wants to move on from the Green Bay Packers, um, then teams then, I, I think we'll, it'll be this domino effect in regard to how things play out in or around the quarterback situation. So uh, that's what everybody's waiting for. Again, a number of people are going to congregate down there, or I should say, yes, down there, over there, up there, to the side, uh, in Indianapolis. And uh, and, and I, th- I think a lot will be discussed and a lot will be revealed, and I think we'll have a better understanding and a better grip um, after the combine. But nonetheless, I still think it's important we talk about it in here in our own backyard. Uh, nothing in regard to the Jets, although I do feel that the Jets should bring in a veteran guy, even though it's the second year for Zach Wilson. I think that that quarterback room uh, should should be a little stronger in regard to depth. Um, but nonetheless, the, the bigger conversation here in our own backyard comes down to Daniel Jones and what the Giants should do with that fifth-year option and what they will do. Uh, Bill Barnwell, who we have on the show quite frequently, I tried to get him on the show this weekend. Unfortunately, he could not. But um, he, he's got an excellent column out on ESPN.com right now talking about all the quarterbacks and where they might land. And he feels that the Giants should not 
exercise the fifth-year option. He's comparing Daniel Jones to Sam Darnold and uh, in the situation that the Jets found themselves in as well. So um, I disagree with him. I do believe that the Giants sh- should exercise that fifth-year option. We'll dive into that. I'll open up the phone lines as well. So uh, that will be our NFL talk for today. Also, a good friend of mine, Rob Dibble, will join us on the show at 1130. I'm working my way backwards. Don't know why, um, but I am. Uh, Rob Dibble is going to join us on the show today at, at, at 1130 to bring us up to speed on what's going on uh, with the collective bargaining agreement, Major League Baseball owners and players. Apparently, everything that I'm reading and I'm hearing is that they are far, far apart. And tomorrow is a really big day. Uh, tomorrow, February 28th, was the day that uh, was appointed if a deal was not in place that would mean that the start of the major league baseball season on march 31st opening day would be delayed and also games would be canceled not made up so what does that mean players will be losing money period there's no making up there's no making up games so um so tomorrow is 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 a pretty big day a pretty crucial day so i thought it'd be great to get dibs on uh, to talk about you know what's the sticking point uh points, plural, of course, um, how he sees this uh, working its way out. Hopefully it will. And also, I do want to get into some of, there's a number of big-name players, probably none more important than Freddie Freeman when it comes to both the Mets and the Yankees because both teams uh, have been in that conversation in regard to landing Freeman. So we'll, we'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Dibs about all of that coming your way at 1130 um and moke hamilton back on the program excited to have moke on uh, for folks who've been listening to me for a few years know that around this time when football season's over and we really get into the meat and potatoes of the nba season i always love to have moke hamilton on the show he's fantastic his insight his personality so uh so he's going to be back as a staple on the show every sunday morning at 10 a.m so excited to get moke on open up the phone lines 800-919-3776 so obviously a lot of nba talk some Major League Baseball gets you up to speed on what needs to happen tomorrow in order for uh, opening day to uh, to remain March 31st. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. NFL talk in regard to the QB carousel. You've got a big game on top today that you'll be able to listen to right here on 98.7 ESPN with the 76ers and the Knicks. So, uh, and again, we will continue to take your calls throughout the program, 800-919-3776. Before we take our first break, uh, I, I do want to, because time is, uh, time is a ticking. And w- what do I mean by that? Well, you just got done listening to uh, the gambling show with, uh, with Joe Wiz. Uh, not sure if he talked about golf. He said he would. So um, not sure what, what his suggestions were. But uh, the Honda Classic, it's, they've already teed off, okay? So there's only so many bets you can continue to make in regard to the Honda Classic. Daniel Berger is at the top of the leaderboard. He's 11 under, so 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So he's got a five-shot lead on Chris Kirk, Straka, um, Kitayama, Kitaya, Kitayama, there we go, uh, and Shane Lowry, right? Um, he has a 68% chance, uh, FPI of winning this tournament. Now, really interesting. The last nine golfers uh, to have a five-shot lead with a round to go has won 86% of the time since 1996. 86% of the time. And um, one thing to know about Berger is uh, his his folks live uh, a 15-minute car ride from the course, uh, grew, he, he's a Floridian. He knows this course. So 
with that type of lead, with five shots up, he tees off at 135, by the way, with that type of lead, knowing this golf course like the back of his hand, being very comfortable here, he shot a 65 on Thursday, a 65 on Friday, 69 yesterday. He And, and he even said this in his post-game, uh, post-round press conference, and that is, you know, he he knows this course, he knows how to play it safe. So what does that mean? When he's going in with a five-shot lead, is he gonna is he gonna burn this course down today in his final round? No, he's gonna play it safe. He's gonna know exactly where to place the ball, off the tee, on approach, and um, so uh, do I expect him to have the lowest score this this Sunday? No, I don't. But do I expect him to win it? I do. Unfortunately, the odds are not good. Uh, minus four hundred for Berger to win. Now, um, if you would have read our ESPN chalk column on uh, Wednesday morning when it posted. Uh, I do toot my horn on occasion. I will toot my horn now. Berger was my my guy to win, and you could have gotten him at 20 to 1. So that for folks out there listening who don't really gamble, that means that you put a dollar down and you win 20. So those were some really phenomenal odds. So another reason why you should read our golf column each and every week. If Berger does win, this will be this will be my second winner that I picked so far this season. Cam Smith was my first, and that was really the first tournament of the season. So you want to say I got lucky there. Okay, that's fine. I'll take it. Uh, but Berger now, if he does win today, will be my second win of the season. But again, at minus 400, mm, you know, what are the odds there? Um, Shane Lowry, a 7% chance of winning in regard to being five back. Uh, Chris Kirk, a 4% chance of winning with five back. And, and how do they get these percentages? A lot of it has to do with how they've been playing this tournament. Strokes gained total, stroke gain, strokes gained tee to green, strokes gained on approach. So is there any value? Shane Lowry is nine to one. Chris Kirk is 16 to one. Uh, you know, again, with what I shared with you, 86% since 1996 have won when they've got a five shot lead um, heading into the final round. So, uh, you know, it might, is there value there? No, there's not. But is there value in matchups? I believe there is. And like I said, so you've got Berger. He's favorite. So so you could you could play Berger and in Lowry in a matchup today. Okay, uh, Berger minus one hundred five, Lowry one, minus one fifteen. You're saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Berger's at the top of the leaderboard. Lowry is five shots back. You know why aren't I getting better odds? Why isn't Lowry at plus money? Again, because I really do believe that Berger is going to play it safe. Lowry is going to have to come in, you know what, to the wall and really try to make some aggressive plays and try to get a ton of birdies in order to catch up to Berger. So I think Lowry over Berger just this round, I think could be a really sneaky good play today. And that's minus 115. Um, I also like Straka um over uh kitayama and that's at minus 165 that might be a little bit too much juice for folks probably one of my favorite plays is Spenson um over kirk at plus 115 um i also like norin over fratilli at minus 145 and there was one more matchup here that i really really liked um streelman minus 125 over thompson so those would be a few of the, uh, the, the matchups that I would play heading into this final round. So again, I just wanted to get that out uh, at the top of the show because uh, the tournament, uh, the round four has already started. And so uh, would love for you to kind of get into that action if you so choose 
heading into this Sunday fourth round. I'm Anita Marks. We come back. Let's let's dive into some NBA talk as uh, you've got the Nets, man. Wow. Uh, who knew? Took care of the Bucks. that's for sure. Kyrie Irving uh, making a big statement. Let's dive into the Nets and the Bucks. The Nets win. And also some news coming out of the Nets pertaining to KD as well as Ben Simmons. We'll open up the phone lines, 800-919-3776. Let's talk some, uh, let's talk some NBA when we get back right here on 98.7 ESPN. When, when will the full cast of characters uh, be active and attractive for the Nets? Really, that's the big question because you, you saw what Kyrie was able to do last night. Uh, career night for him, that's for sure. And then... But unfortunately, out of that, well, some positive news, right? We're, we're hearing that KD more than likely will return either next week or the following week. So K- K- KD is expected to be back at some point in time, hopefully next week. Um, but Ben Simmons apparently has some type of uh, back issue that he's dealing with now. Um, again, it's, it's not necessarily a, uh, a back injury. Uh, he hasn't played in, in, <laughs> in a hot second that's for sure that we do know. Um, and so, you know, is this, is this just, you know, the growing pains of, uh, you know, getting back into the swing of things possibly, but, but that, that's really concerning. Kyrie 38 points, five rebounds, five assists, again, a season high for him. And one would imagine, cause we saw the other day, right? What, what Harden was able to do and in, in what he, in, in the points and in the style of play that he was able uh, to, to do against the T-Wolves along with, with Embiid. He's playing with a lot more swagger, a lot more uh, just just happier individual on the court. I, I know that we've heard bits and pieces in regard to the, the fallout in, in what happened with the Nets between Kyrie and Harden and Katie and whatever, but I would imagine that the atmosphere and the vibe in that locker room as well is a positive one now. So I, I think... And we've all been there in a situation, especially if you play sports. It's, 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 it's hard to compete. It's hard to play sports. It's, it's hard to bring out your best, your A game, when, when there's drama and there's issues in the locker room. So, again, I, I think that this very well could be just a sign of, of what's to come for this Nets team as they took care of the Bucks 126-123. to 123. Again, Kyrie, 38 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds. Drummond, 17 points, 12 rebounds. Curry was 4 of 8 from downtown. And I, I mentioned those stats because I, I think it's I think it's really so again so much is being discussed in regard to the big players that were that were traded Ben Simmons and Harden. But I think you've got to look, especially for the Nets. I think you've got to look even a little bit deeper, even not just a little, but a lot deeper in regard to the addition of Drummond and Curry and what that means to this team and and to this roster. I know. It, if you listen to me in, in, in the past few days, I've been talking about just how horrific uh, Ben Simmons is at, on, on the offensive side of the ball. Under 60% from the free throw line. Uh, I, I was shocked to find out that he's only made three three-pointers in his entire career out of 58 tries. Three of 58 in his entire career from behind the arc. Now, I understand, you know, not everybody's got a smooth stroke. Not everybody, but, but three of 58? What? <laughs> his shooting percentage isn't that great either. So, uh, you know, obviously what is, what is Ben going to bring to the equation? Better defense that the Nets have been needing uh, all season long. So a bunch of role players here. And, and then of course, you know, KD comes back, hopefully, you know, we haven't seen him since January 15th. That's when he strained his, his MCL, 
But now we're talking about a Nets team that took care that that beat a solid Bucks team. Now, now the Bucks have been on a slide. They've lost four of their last five. So something is off there with the Bucks right now. But still, a, a team that's going to make it into the postseason and, and potentially going to make a good run at winning a championship. Uh, Bruce Brown hitting the three pointer with one a little over a minute and forty seconds left in the game uh, to seal the deal, and of course to, for them to win one twenty six to one twenty three. But uh, you know, I think. Seen last night Kyrie on the court for the first time with Drummond and Curry and, and, and kind of really seeing them beat a good team and understanding the makeup and the roles that are going to be played for this Nets team, even without the best player arguably in the NBA, Katie, on the court. I think it's I think it's quite frightening. Let's hear more from Kyrie Irving um, on, on getting to play with his new look Nets. Yeah, I hope my smile can, you know, do a... <laughs> answer that question but uh yeah no when you when you play with guys that uh you know coming off the ball uh being very selfless and uh you know putting their body on the line and then uh just thinking the game it, it just makes my job a lot easier to go out there and, and just lead the offense as best i can as the point guard but uh you know even just thinking like that you know be uh bruce played point guard tonight seth played point guard tonight and we're just all interchangeable down the stretch and uh you know we just showed our depth and uh, just showed our resilience. A uh, little little backhand slap in the beginning of that that soundbite to uh, to Harden, but that's okay. Uh, we heard the same from Harden when he spoke to the media in in Philadelphia. But more importantly, especially at the the beginning of uh, that that quote, you know, him talking about you know, hope you could see it in my smile how happy I am. Again, I think it's really important. That's why you know to sit here and you know who won this trade. I don't think we'll really know who won this trade. I don't even think I don't think it, it would even be fair to have an opinion in, uh, in regard to who won this trade until the end of next season. Truly believe that, because again, Simmons now is dealing with some back soreness. He hasn't played in quite a while. It's going to take a minute for him to gel. We don't know when this uh, the 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 vax mandate is going to be lifted in New York. Will it be lifted anytime soon? You know, I, I do believe the Nets are going to make a solid run in the postseason. I do believe they get in, and I do believe they're going to make a solid run. Do I have them winning? No, I don't. So, you know, with this quote-unquote new-look Nets, I want to see what they do in this postseason. And then I want to give them an off-season together to gel, to, you know, get into that ebb and flow, to understand, to, to create their identity, to... Uh, understand what their roles are, and then make an assessment next year. Um, also, they don't have they don't have uh, they don't have Joe Harris either. Uh, he's he's a big part of this equation, and not sure if he's going to be able to suit up and play this season. So um, so I I, I want to see that, and then same thing for the 76ers. And uh, let's listen in. This is, by the way, because I, I think I think the the vax mandate and that being lifted, I think is going to be really crucial in regard to how quickly this Nets team, even though they look good last night, again they beat the Bucks, but how quickly they can get into true form in what they're going to need to do and the team that they're going to need to be in order to advance and win in the postseason. Here's Kyrie on the possibility of playing at the Barclays. You know, just remain impatient. And just seeing where things end up in this next week or so or next two weeks, I'm not too sure. But um, I know as much as you do. And uh, I just I want to say this is that I'm very appreciative of all those that uh, are pushing uh, behind the scenes to, to make 
our world a better place. And, um, you know, with everything calming down with the COVID cases and, uh, you know, most important thing for me was just making sure everybody was okay. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been on uh, record saying this, that it's not about me. I don't want to feel like it's, it's all on me, but, um, you know, the circumstances this year have not been ideal, um, but I'm glad that things are kind of settling down and, and there's light at the end of the tunnel here. And uh, hopefully I can get back on that home floor and playing in the Barclays. And, and now we can finally have that conversation that you've been dying to have uh, just about, you know, turning the page and, and moving forward uh, beyond this. But um, like I said, I'm not the only one that I feel for everybody that's either in my boat or in a similar boat or have dealt with, uh, you know, some, some type of, uh, you know, tra trauma from this and uh, just wishing everybody well wishes always. Again, uh, Kyrie, Post game uh, after their win against the Bucks, talking about the uh, the Vax mandate hopefully being lifted for him so he can get back on the court at the Barclays. By the way, best defense brought to you by Slomans. Can't say there was best defense last night. Again, one twenty six to one twenty three. Hopefully you played the over uh, because obviously that hit. Kyrie thirty eight points, Drummond seventeen with twelve rebounds. As I said earlier, Curry, Steph Curry, uh, Seth Curry, four of eight from downtown. Bruce Brown, uh, again, hit that three-pointer with about a minute 40 left to really seal the deal. Uh, that's best defense. Again, none that I saw last night. Brought to you by Slomans. Call 800-ALARM-ME to receive a free doorbell camera with the installation of your Slomans shield. Keep your family safe. Call 800-ALARM-ME. Let's go to our phone lines, 800-919-3776. Michael in Brooklyn, welcome in. Hey, hi. Um, I agree with you. I, I think the Knicks, the Nets will make a run. I don't know if they win a championship. I think only because they're playing too small. They're playing too many guards. I think what Nash should do is play Drummond and Blake and play the Marcus Aldridge with uh, Claxton. I don't think they should trade Claxton. I think they should just convert him into a power forward. So it can be like uh, Mobley in, Cle in Cleveland. I think that's where you got to put Claxton because he's too skinny to play center. He gets pushed around. But he's he's... Uh, fast enough to guard people so he can help the markets because he can't really move around too much. That's okay. Yeah, Michael, I like it. Again, I, I think, um, and I appreciate the phone call, 800-919-3776. Um, I, I think the Nets defensive dynamic is going to change big time. Uh, once Ben Simmons gets on on the court, and it will also be interesting once Ben and Katie are back, uh, what that rotation is going to look like uh, for sure. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, did the Nets and the 76ers get better? Absolutely. It's about that time, Mo. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Anita. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's been a little while. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, you had a new baby and, um, you know, you were just getting started. How's that? How's, how's, uh, fatherhood treating you? Yeah. No, no, nobody can ask me that question without me just getting like the biggest smile on my face. Um, well, put it this way. We're, it, it's been a year, uh, and we're all still alive. We're all still <laughs> here. So, uh, you know, we've, we've learned to celebrate the, uh, the, the small victories and, uh, yeah, you know, it's, Fatherhood, you know, it's been a great learning experience, you know, and um, she, she seems to be a next fan, believe it or not. You know, anytime I turn on Yes Network and you see the black and white jersey, she's just like transfixed. So I guess it's in her blood, you know. 
Well, uh, good thing, uh, especially right now, uh, considering, you know, the opposite direction these two franchises are headed. Uh, but let, let's start with the Knicks. Let's start with the Knicks first and foremost, right? And, uh, you know, unfortunately, their last game, they lose to the Heat. But uh, more important, like, oh, and I only by 15, like, like I, went, I, I was expecting, like, them to lose by 30. I, let's be honest. They, they don't have a legit point guard. Kimball Walker's out for the season. Derrick Rose now has another procedure on his ankle. Grimes is dealing with a knee issue. There's a lot of injuries here. They're dealing with R.J. Barrett had a, a, a career night. That's for sure. But, you know, again, we haven't spoken in a hot second. You know, what, what's your take in regard to where this Knicks franchise is right now and in, in, in what what you expect we will see from them for the remainder of the season. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the second part of your question, you know, what we're going to see for the remainder of the season, I think that's really the most interesting part, to, to be honest with you, uh, because as we wake up now on February 27th, you know, the Knicks sit 12th in the Eastern Conference. They are four games behind the Hawks for the 10th seed, which obviously would get them into the play-in scenario. The, the, the thing for me, Anita, I kind of wonder, you know, what does the Knicks franchise actually want? You know, like at this point of the season, do you say, you know, this thing is kind of falling apart on us. You know, Derrick Rose is out for a little while. Um, you know, do, do, do we want to try to sneak in as, as an AC? Do we want to try to go through the play-in, the play-in scenario and get to the playoffs and have a first-round playoff matchup that we're probably going to lose? Or do you say, you know what, uh, it might actually benefit us to, to you know, kind of let this season go and, and collect our lottery pick and, and try to go and get another strong player in the draft. Uh, it's just funny how for as long as we can remember, point guard has been an area of need for this franchise. And it seems like the, the, the good options that they had, Fred Van Vliet was one a few years ago. This past summer, Lonzo Ball was one, even though Lonzo's missed a lot of time this season. The, the stopgap measures just haven't seemed to work for the Knicks, and I think that that's obviously something they're going to have to think long and hard about this summer. They, they need a young point guard on that team that can be entrusted to run the offense and one whose best days are ahead of him. And uh, they, they, they got they got to find a way to get that done this summer. That should be priority number one. You know, not too long ago, the Post came out with an article saying that DeRozan wanted to come here. The Knicks kind of kicked the can around, but uh, didn't weren't aggressive with it. A, did you did you read that article? B, um, wh- what do you think the issue was? I mean, dude's averaging thirty five points a game with the Bulls right now. Yeah, that that was an interesting one. Uh, no, I mean, general managers, you know, we, we really have an unfair standard as it relates to front office personnel in the NBA. Uh, but it is the standard. You know, the standard is that, you know, you're supposed to be able to tell the future. And if you can't, then you end up looking bad. And, I mean, that's, it, it's just one of those situations for the Knicks. Um, I, you know, I, mean, I think one thing that I have noticed personally uh, and – I'm a, I'm a bit of a social scientist. Like people, like my, my undergrad uh, degree was in sociology, right? Um, and I, I always try to look at the human aspect of things, and I think that it's really easy for us as observers to forget that NBA players are human too, right? So what I mean by that is when guys are healthy or when guys are happy, they just tend to perform better. 
And I think that we've all kind of forgotten. Like, look at C.J. McCollum, for example, right now in New Orleans. You know, he's playing the best basketball that he's played all season long. Out there in Portland, when you don't really feel like you're playing for something or when you know that you're kind of just going through the motions because the team's going to be broken up, it, it, it's tough to come to work every day and perform well under those circumstances. You know what I mean? He finds himself in one of them playing the best basketball season. I say all that to say DeMar DeRozan. You know, people kind of forgot how great of a player DeRozan was. Uh, you know, when he left Toronto, obviously he didn't want to leave Toronto. And then he's in San Antonio. We just didn't really see much of him. We didn't hear much about him. And now with the move to Chicago, it's really kind of reinvigorated him. And that's kind of where you're seeing his MVP caliber performance this season. So I say all that to say, at the end of last season, when you're the Knicks and you're trying to figure out who to go after, in all fairness, DeMar DeRozan just didn't really seem to fit the direction of the team, right? You're coming off of a great season. You figure you're building around Julius Randle. You're, you're building around R.J. Barrett. And you have a couple of nice young pieces that should continue to develop. So as much as I think that move would have been good for the Knicks to make in hindsight, I can understand why at the time they thought simply adding an auxiliary piece like Evan Fournier made more sense for the team, mainly because every, everything still would have flowed through Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett, whereas DeMar DeRozan probably would have had to have been the first option on that team to have been happy. So, so I kind of understand why it played out the way it did. It's just unfortunate, obviously, that DeRozan is, is an MVP candidate and, and the Knicks are sitting in the 12th seed in the conference. Uh, again, Moog Hamilton joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. I had uh, Mark Berman on, on the show yesterday, and, and I was asking him what he felt went wrong with, with Julius Randle this season. And, you know, he's saying that, you know, when Julius Randle sits down to talk to the media, Moke, like, he doesn't even know what's going on with his teammates. Um, and apparently, like, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't really converse with Fournier. Uh, the two aren't as thick as thieves. And, and, uh, Bullock, Reggie Bullock, and, and a number, uh, some other players that were uh, either let go or traded last year were his best friends. So it's interesting, like, you know, you talk about, like, um, mental health and being happy and the importance of that. And, and it's interesting you say that because I just talked about that for the first hour of the program. Like, you know, we, we saw a different Kyrie last night as the Nets beat the Bucks, right. smiling, happy. He even alluded to it in his post-game press conference. Same thing with Harden. Their first game, 76ers against the T-Wolves, beating them 133 to 102. So, you know, happiness is such a really big key, not just to these athletes, but I think anyone in, in, in any walk of life, in any career. So I just, it, it's very perplexing to me, you know, why, you know, I, I, I understand Knicks fans upset with Julius Randle, disappointing postseason last year against Atlanta, disappointing season, the way that he treated the fans, uh, with, you know, all that we know that happened uh, during the game. But a lot of this onus is on the ownership. And the players that they let go and the players that they brought in, you talk about building around Julius Randle. Well, they, they don't have the right components, Moke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the... the so, I, and honestly, I, mean, I kind of felt the same way. You know, like, dur during the early part of the season, now, you know, post All-Star break, Randall has he's been playing much better. Uh, and, you know, again, guys are human. So 
when you hear your name in trade rumors and when guys are asking you, you know, oh, do you think you might get traded to Sacramento for De'Aaron Fox and all the speculation that was kind of running rampant in the early part of the season, typically with NBA players, they know when their name is being said out there. You know what I mean? Like in trade discussions or whatever. And what does typically happen is guys sort of exhale. You know, when the trade deadline passes and they're still in the same uniform, they kind of exhale and they kind of look forward. And it, it, it takes a weight off their shoulders and it helps guys perform much, much better. You know, we've seen that happen a lot. That said, it, it was truly perplexing that Randall struggled so much in the early part of the season. And, and for the Knicks, things would have been much different if he had, you know, even – 75% of the production as he had last season. I mean, there were some contests earlier this season that the Knicks obviously ended up losing where he just performed quite miserably. And I think those of us that were observing spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was going on because he just seemed very, very unhappy. Sometimes guys have things going on in, in, in their personal lives that we don't really get wind of until after the fact, if at all. And then once we find out about it, 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 it ends up make, making a lot of sense, you know. Um, that, that said, Anita, I have, I, have, I have heard, I think I actually read it somewhere too. Somebody, somebody may have reported it, but I, I, I have heard that there were some, some veteran players on the team that weren't really happy about what happened to Kemba Walker, um, him being removed from the rotation so quickly. Um, it, it, was, it was actually it was, it was quite reminiscent to what happened with Carmelo Anthony as a member of the Rockets, actually, except the difference is obviously Kemba wasn't released um, the way that you know, Carmelo eventually was in Houston. But, but the point is, I'm not even sure that that necessarily had an impact on Randall and how he felt about Tom Thibodeau and how he felt about the situation because those two weren't really that close from what I understand. So even, even those of us that you know, know a few people and talk to a few players have been truly perplexed by, by his regression this season. And, you know, we're, we're, we're still looking for an explanation. <laughs> but if you're a Knicks fan, the, the, the bright side is, like I said, you know, he's been playing better since, since uh, you know, since the deadline has passed, um, you know, since the All-Star break, you know, I guess they've only played, you know, one contest. But um, things seem to be looking up for him. And you just kind of got to hope that he's in the slump and that he'll, he'll find his way out of it and help the team compete over the final 20-some-odd games of the season. Uh, again, Moe Hamilton joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Before we turn our attention to the Nets, let's talk about the 76ers because you'll be able to listen to that game right here on 98.7 ESPN uh, coming your way at 1 o'clock tip-off, and it is game two for Harden and Embiid. Man, T-Wolves, uh, they're not chopped liver, dude. They beat them 133-102, to 102. Harden 27 points, 12 assists, two rebounds away from a triple-double. Of course, Embiid did log a triple-double as well. Uh, and you saw how happy Harden was to play. Your thoughts on the 76ers and how far you think they can go. I know it's a small sample size, one game, but still, how far do you think the 76ers team could go with the uh, duo of Harden and Embiid, Moke? I think that they are real championship contenders now. Um, that That duo, I mean, you're talking about two of the... I guess it depends on where you want to rank James Harden. I was going to say two of the top five one-on-one players in the league. I can understand maybe if you want to knock James Harden down. But, I mean, at worst, they have two of the top ten one-on-one players in the NBA. And, you know, Anita, at the, at the end of the day, in the, in the postseason, in the playoffs, 
you know, we like motion offenses. We like great play calls. But invariably, when things get tight, every team gives the ball to their best player and says, please either get me a basket or create me a basket. And there are few players in the league that I would rather have in that situation than Joel Embiid and James Harden. Um, So I I think that is why I would say that Philadelphia is a very, very credible threat to win the conference. I think there are four teams that, to me, you know, Miami, Chicago, Philly, and Milwaukee, those are the four that I I think are are, It's just going to be a dogfight. Brooklyn is obviously in, in that mix as well. So, you know, we're looking at the Eastern Conference and we're saying, man, you know, we've been talking about the West and how deep the West is and how tough the West is, but you, you've got you've got something brewing in, in the conference right now out East. Um, as, as far as how far the Sixers can go, I think that they are a very, very credible threat to dethrone Milwaukee as the Eastern Conference champion. And, and they're a team that should have legit title aspirations. The, the only downside to the trade for them was if they could have found a way to keep either Seth Curry or Andre Drummond, I think it would have made them even more formidable. But, you know, Joel Embiid and James Harden, they just gave us a a little preview of what's to come. As long as these guys can stay healthy, which is obviously the the big if, considering each of their history, but if they can stay healthy, this duo is going to be contending for championships in the years to come. Uh, it's it's going to be fun to see this work and, and see how well they do. Uh, before we let you go, let's let's talk about the Nets. And, um, you know, Kyrie, 38 points uh, last night, season high, five rebounds, five assists. I was really interested to see how this dynamic was going to work with Drummond and Curry. Curry, four of eight from downtown. Drummond, 12 rebounds. And, uh, and and they bought they beat a good Bucks team, 126 to 123. Now, granted, Bucks have lost four or five, but nonetheless, this is without seeing the defensive uh, production that Ben Simmons is going to bring to the equation, as well as arguably best player in the NBA in KD. He's been out since January 15th. Your thoughts on what you saw from the Nets last night? Well, I mean, last night in particular was, was just incredible considering the, the all-around contributions that they got, you know, and I mean, Every so often, I, I have all the respect. I mean, I think, I, think, I think all of us do. I think everyone knows that Kyrie is just a, a basketball genius, you know. And every so often, you know, he'll have a clunker every now and again, you know. But every so often, he just puts on a, a, an all-world performance that kind of helps you remember that this is a guy that can win two games for you in a playoff series all by himself. He might need his teammates to help him get there. He might need his teammates to, you know, help keep the game close. But, you know, again, I guess we're talking about James Harden and Joel Embiid being some of the top one-on-one players. I mean, of all players in the league, you know, with with the game on the line, if I need need one basket, Kyrie is probably one of the top three guys that I'm going to in that situation. And one of the other top three happens to be his teammate in Brooklyn and Kevin Durant. So, again, in the playoffs, you know, when when games slow down and – when you have really, really important and impactful possessions, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to stop that team. It, it definitely will. And, you know, they showed you in Milwaukee last night that they're capable, even with the, the odds stacked against them, they're capable of going into a hostile environment and they're capable of beating the defending champs. You know, and that's not something that every team is capable of doing and it's not something that 
every team is capable of doing, particularly when they're missing two of their of their best three players. Um, as far as the Ben Simmons move, just real quick, I will say what, what I really like about that, aside from the defensive end, which you kind of mentioned, Anita, is Ben is going to help these guys play so much faster, and it's it's the total opposite from James Harden. You know, James Harden is very calculating. He's, he's plotting. He likes to play in half-court sets. Ben is going to get rebounds and be looking for the first guy down the court. You know what I mean? I think that he's going to end up in – and then that's getting five or six easier baskets every single game. I think he's going to speed things up for Kyrie, who in particular will benefit from that. And, and all things considered, with Andre Drummond and Seth Curry being a part of the equation there in Brooklyn, um, they, they're going to be there. They're going to be there. Like, like I said, five teams have a shot at winning the conference. Brooklyn is definitely in that mix, and I wouldn't be surprised if they end up representing the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals this year. Wow. Great stuff as always, Moke. Uh, so good to hear your voice. Glad that you and your wonderful family are doing well and just know how much we appreciate your time on this Sunday morning. Thank you, my friend. It's truly my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Anita Marks with you on this uh, Sunday morning here on 98.7 ESPN. Kevin Connors joins us here on 98.7 ESPN. You see him all over ESPN and especially right now as March Mad is starting to heat up. Kevin, appreciate your time on this Sunday morning. And uh, especially after what happened last night, top six, all top six seeds lost for the, this is the first time it happened in history, which is really, really unbelievable. Uh, your thoughts on, on all that went wrong. Right. Or, or all that went right, Anita. I mean, you know, that's kind of how it's been in college basketball this year, a sport renowned for, for upsets and seven of the top 10 teams, the top six teams, as you said, all go down yesterday. And, it's a product of what this year has been all about. It's parity in college basketball is as great as it's been, in my opinion, since the early 1990s. It's in part because of teams rating mid-major and low-major teams via the transfer portal, stockpiling uh, talent that way, players deciding to come back given the extra year of COVID eligibility and work on things where normally they might have gone uh, directly to the NBA. And then the other great thing to come out of that, Anita, is that, is that yesterday, in my opinion, really set the stage for what is going to be an unbelievable week and a half of conference tournaments. Absolutely. I, I say this all the time. Uh, March Madness is my favorite second, my, my second favorite sporting event, uh, for sure. And, and, and I think, you know, you hit the nail right on the head, Kevin, and that is, you know, I don't ever remember a time where going into a tournament, there's more parity. Like, you know, I'm asked on, on the Daily Wager segment, I do, you know, where's my money on right now? And of course, I said it's Gonzaga, but of course they, they lost to St. Mary's uh, last night. But, you know, Arizona could win it, right? Like, you know, a lot of people like Purdue. A lot of people like, look at what Duke was able to do. Winning on the road, uh, you know, one would say kind of, right? Like you want to come into the tournament hot. You want to come into the tournament elevating, uh, not declining, where here you have the, the top six seeds that lost all as we get closer to, to selection Sunday. So with that being said, uh, you know, what, wh- how do you like realistically, I, I can sit here and say, all right, you know, who, who do you think is going to win? But realistically, how many teams would you say have a realistic chance of winning this tournament this year? It's a great question. And it's a great point you bring up. In my opinion, it's te- it, I mean, 10, 12, 15, any one of 10, 12, wow. 15 wow. teams realistically could win the national championship. I mean, 
Texas Tech is the number nine team in the country right now. Would it shock anyone if Texas Tech, a team who makes you want to play or, or who makes you play a style you don't want to play more than anyone else in college basketball, would it shock anyone if, if Mark Adams put it together and won a championship? wouldn't shock me. They got a guy by the name of Bryson Williams who is an unbelievable player who, if you, if you haven't been locked in on the Big 12 this year, Get ready. This guy can take over games, and the style they play is amazing. Duke is another team. Look, I know – I hope people aren't turning off the radio when I say Duke, but listen, it's Coach K's last year. Mm-hmm. They're loaded. A.J. Griffin, Wendell Moore. You know, Paolo Banqueros had a terrible month of February, and he had a great game yesterday. He's a guy who can dominate a game. I love Mark Williams, their big guy. Duke can beat you in a lot of ways. And, and I agree with you, Anita, largely that you want teams that are playing well this time of year. I also don't mind when a team like Gonzaga loses. I think it can refocus the, the great teams when they lose a game this time of year. So I'm still very in on Gonzaga. But again, it's any one of 10, 12 teams, in my opinion, that could win a national championship. Kevin Connors joining us here on 98.7 ESPN, getting you ready as we get closer to Selection Sunday and uh, if you, you know, have been listening to me on the radio for years, you know, like I'm all about, I play in like, I don't know, anywhere between 15 to 20 pools. I'm Kevin. I am. I'm like, I'm all in. Also, I do find that it, you, it you're, it's more lucrative in regard to gambling and, and it's, it's going to be insane. Right. Kevin, like in regard to how much money was spent on the Super Bowl, you know, it, 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 it broke obviously most of, of any year. Right. And, and a lot of that is because it's legal now in, in, in a variety of States, but like, I can't wait to see the numbers in regard to the amount of wagering that's going to happen this March madness. This is going to break records as well. And I feel that it's, it's, it's more lucrative. I think it's, you can win a lot of money in the first round of March madness. And there's some teams out there that I'm eyeing like, like Murray state, for example. Right. And, and they won last night. They were favored by 11, uh, didn't win by the number of points. They only won by two. But like, like to me, Murray State is is a team that I think will come in and possibly get like an eight or nine seed, and I think can make some noise and upset some teams. Your thoughts on Murray State? I need you're grooving this into my wheelhouse here because I do a, <laughs> I do a mid-major top ten poll on ESPN.com that only the real college basketball junkies know about. But, again, it speaks to the parity in the game. It's not just among the power five schools. In fact, not to get too far off topic, I would argue that of the conference tournaments, the five best are not from the power five conferences. Sure, the Big 12, the the SEC, and the Big 10 are going to be great. Watch the WCC. Watch the Mountain West. They're going to be fantastic, better than the ACC is going to be. I know that's sacrilegious, and I'm sorry to the folks at the Barkley Center, but the ACC is down. Those other conference tournaments are going to be great. Murray State is 28 and two. They're 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 simply put the best mid major in college basketball. Mm-hmm. They've had an unbelievable season. Uh, they're a team to watch for sure. North Texas and Conference USA has had an unbelievable year. They beat Purdue in the NCAA tournament last year. Obviously, we saw what St. Mary's could do last year. Randy Bennett's an unbelievable coach. If you're looking for a team that could that could knock someone off, heck, they just knocked off the AP number one last night. Uh, Loyola Chicago is another favorite in conference tournament play. So there are several mid-majors. I would steer everyone to ESPN.com to check out the KC mid-major top 10 because there are some great mid-major teams this year. 
before we let you go, let's keep it uh, local in our own backyard, and that's that's Rutgers, right? Like I I look at Rutgers and and potentially I know they lost last night, but um, you know they're they're always good for a fight, and and I see them getting again like maybe like a nine, a ten, or eleven seed in this tournament. Your your thoughts on Rutgers, um, and and what damage do you think they can do in the tournament, Kevin? I think Steve Peichel is a tremendous coach. And, I mean, you look at, Anita, you look at the stretch that they had uh, to, to, in essence, start the month of February, where they beat Michigan State at home. They beat Ohio State. E.J. Liddell may be the Big Ten player of the year in, in a race that's as good as any in, in any conference player of the year race. They went at Wisconsin. They beat Kofi Coburn and Illinois at home. They had an unbelievable run in the month of February. I think the job that he's done, Steve Peichel has been tremendous. Geo Baker, Ron Harper Jr., two guys to watch in the month in the month of March. I don't know that Rutgers is a team that makes it to the second weekend. I think Rutgers is a team that can win a game in, in the NCAA tournament, and I think that they're a team that could make a tremendous run in the Big Ten tournament. Great. Uh, great stuff. Uh, and, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, a lot happened last night, so I thought it was really important for us to uh, spend some time on, uh, on, on you know, the fallout and, uh, and what, we, what we can expect heading into Selection Sunday. So, Kevin, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. It's great to be on with you, Anita. Again, I'd urge anyone who is late to the sport, get in, because you're right. The next <laughs> month is going to be off the charts. It is. It is. Appreciate your time. 800-919-3776. <laughs> Rob Dibble joins us now on the program. Uh, Dibs, how you doing? Doing great, Anita. How are you? I'm I'm great. So, how did your uh, what, little league little league practice? You're you're like the number one coach in in Connecticut, right? You guys had a good practice. Well, no, today? we we have a batting cage in Connecticut, and you know we do clinics, and then I have seven travel teams, so I have seven bullpens in a row until five o'clock now. Oh but, my gosh! Uh, we have fifty five kids that um, from ages 4 to 12 that are some are beginners, some are, you know, not so great, but are, they're getting better. Um, so we, we work out with them from 9 to about 11.30. So they just left. So, so you, are, you are the Snoop Dogg of baseball on the East Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Except I can't I, think. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's dive into it. Uh, I, I know tomorrow is uh, is expected to be, uh, you know, the big day that uh, Major League Baseball said if no deal is done, then opening day March 31st is going to be uh, canceled and games will not be made up. Let's start first and foremost. What do you feel are the three biggest uh, bargaining uh, issues between the players and the owners that, that the players want changed? Um, the, the, the biggest problem is the competitive balance and, you know, because there's no salary cap, like the NFL and the NBA, where the worst team in your league still spends 91% of the cap baseball doesn't have that. They have, they have a threshold of it's called luxury tax. And I think it's around 215 million, 220 million. And every dollar over there, you, you put a dollar into a pool and that goes back to the teams that don't spend money. So you've got 20 teams that spend $100 million, and then 10 teams that spend less than $100 million. And you've got about four or five teams that spend over $200 million. The players just want it to be closer together so there's a competitive balance. So you can't just, like, for three, four years tank and then, and then for two years spend money and then tank for another three years because 
teams are making so much money. The Braves just came out because they're a public company, media, Liberty uh, Media, $568 million they earned last year, and they, their bills were $177 million. So they earned $391 million after they p- paid their bills. And so, you know, for them to be arguing over $15 million or $10,000 raise increments, it, it's just ridiculous. So, you know, two of the biggest problems are the plus two players. They want more of those players to go to arbitration sooner. And then you've got the, the competitive balance. So really the top two things they're arguing about right now, um, it, it's, it's really nickel and dime stuff. That's, that's what's so amazing to me is they're making so much money. You know, if you can do the math, that's, that's over $15 billion right there between 30 teams. And, and so when, you know, 53% of that money is going in your pocket, the other 47 goes towards salaries. The, the 47% on the Players Association side uh, goes for pension, insurance, travel, hotels, spring training, expenses. You know, they're, they're making money hand over fist, and you've got uh, Tom Ricketts, the owner of the Cubs. You've got the owner of the Cardinals saying, we're not making any money. We're losing money. This is a terrible business. It's, it's, it's just total bunk. And, then, and the, the deal is for five years, so you have to make the best deal you can for the next five years because you're stuck with it. Once you, once you sign that collective bargaining agreement, that's your working contract for five years. It's, uh, it, so it, it just, it sound, number one, it sounds like a lot, and I'm hearing that right. the, the owners and the players are really far apart. So I think it's safe to assume tomorrow's not going to happen. Time-wise, uh, Dibs, when when do you realistically expect this to at least both sides come a little bit closer? What's your timeline here? Well, listen, as a former player rep, and I had another former player rep, my teammate and best friend Norm Charlton on the other day, it's it's really for the players, they, they didn't need to be locked out to negotiate. They're going to always negotiate in good faith. You know, Rob Manfred used to be the labor lawyer under Bud Selig. So he knows how to negotiate with the Players Association. He knows that they're going to they're gonna cut a good deal and help the game. The, the players want to help the game grow. I, I, one of the biggest problems that people may not understand is they want to get rid of the minor leagues completely. They, they want to get rid of every minor league player. Um, they they want to have academies. They, you know, and that would save them maybe five, ten million a year. That that's how nickel and dime the owners have become in in a business that that brings them in fifteen billion annually. It's crazy. So the players already made them take that off the table. But they they have an antitrust exemption with the government. They they could get rid of all the minor leagues, and there's nothing the players can do because they're not a part of the union. So when you're talking about what the, the players are actually fighting for, they're fighting for jobs of guys that aren't even really in the union. That's, that's how much baseball means to the players. So it's not just about salary. It's about where the game is going. The robo-umps, the, you know, keep telling the people negative stuff like, the game's so slow, the, game, the game's great. The game's great. I have hundreds of kids that come in here every week that love it, even softball players on the girls' side. They love the sport. And, you know, to make, make, to have a commissioner that makes it seem like it's a terrible business, it's a terrible sport, that's one of the biggest problems the players are fighting against. So, yeah, the salaries will work itself out. The arbitration guys will work itself out. But it's really about the future of the game that these players are fighting for right now. 
the minor league system. They, they got rid of 42 teams last year. That's 850 jobs. Those guys' dreams were just wiped out. Think about the coaches in the minor leagues. Their jobs were, were cut last year. That's what we're up against right now. So when, when the players are in there fighting, they're fighting for the future for the next 20, 30 years. They're not just fighting for the next five years. Again, Rob Dibble joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Um, okay, so let's, let's just we'll, – we'll be as optimistic as well, – one, one more thing I do want to get your opinion on. You know, in, in, in professional sport across the board, right, they're the haves and the have-nots, right? And, and I'm curious, A, what is the percentage of guys that you feel have made enough money in their lifetime playing this sport that, that could go through an entire Major League Baseball season with no action and, and not miss a beat financially? G- give me what, what percentage is that? Three, 10, less, 30? Less than, where, yeah, less than 10%, probably around 5 to 3%. Okay, so with that being said, as games continue, you know, let's say this gets dragged out and games are continue to be canceled and not made up, therefore money being taken out of the pocket of a number of, as you said, like, so let's just say 70%, what's going to happen within the uh, Major League Baseball uh, Players Association? Like, what, what happens to well, the have-nots and the, and the haves in regard to, you know, who gets antsy and, and what happens there? That's that's a great question, and it's it's about uh, I could tell you from my experience when we had better licensing, and I don't know what their money you know annually is. We would put a lot of it into a a slush fund, a strike fund, so that every player on the forty man roster could get a check every month for ten thousand dollars. But that was thirty years ago, so I don't know if they've saved over the last five years. I don't know how much money is in a particular fund. I'm hoping it's $100 million because that's what we used to put in um, with all the, the baseball card money and the licensing and merchandising and all the money we were getting. Um, and, you know, basically that could sustain you for six months. But after that, then, then there would be, be an issue. But it would also be an issue for the, the owners because the owners in the strike in 94 lost $600 million. The players lost $400 million. You know, I lost a lot of money because that was one of my best earning years. But, you know, it, it's not necessary. The only thing that needs to happen is is if the owners ever decide that they, they can treat the players like partners, this would have been done three months ago. But because the owners don't love the sport like the fans, they don't love the sport like the players, uh, you, you, you know, you have a commissioner that calls the World Series trophy a hunk of metal, it just it shows you where their heads are at. So for me, listen, the, the players have to do what they have to do. They're unified. They're, they're galvanized to do this. Um, and I think if you look back during the pandemic, the players wanted to play 100 games that year. And owners had a contract that only had to do 60 to get their contract to kick in. The players were livid about that. They're like, listen, you know, we, we could be the only sport playing right now, but you don't want to. And that, that galvanized them two years ago. So the lockout, that, that didn't hurt them at all. It's really, if, if you start getting into April with no games and that, you know, the TV contracts and the TV people start getting nervous, I think that, that's when you might get a better idea of, of getting these two sides together to negotiate. I, I, listen, I was hoping John Henry and his group would get in there because LeBron's a part of that group. I was hoping that the Steinbrenners would show up. They have not. You know, and until the owners start being a part of it like they did in 1994, I, I just think it's going to keep the sides apart. And it's, it's you're, you're just basically going in there with really hollow, uh, you know, this, this is my presentation. 
And it's it's really a lot of lip service. Until the owners start thinking about losing money, it's it's not going to happen. Uh, last thing for you, uh, Dibs, before we let you go, and that is uh, once this does settle, um, you know, there's a number of, of, of really big-name players that are looking for new homes. Obviously, they didn't get deals like Max Scherzer, didn't get deals done prior to – uh, this all the work stoppage, none bigger than Freeman, who reports are he wants out of Atlanta and both the Mets and the Yankees have interest in him. So w- what do you think happens with Freeman? Where do you think he goes? I would love to see him in, in a Yankee uniform or a Met uniform because people would understand how good the kid really is. Um, if you recall, go back to 1994-95, um, when the owners realized that the contract's almost done, you will see them sign guys like you've never seen them sign people before. Back then, Albert Bell signed a quick deal for $55 million in 1994-95 um, by Jerry Reinsdorf, one of the most hardline owners. So when they know that the contract is like a day or two uh, out there, they're going to get their contracts in order, they're going to have all this stuff ready to go, and they're going to go chase down these players that they want. It'll happen very quickly. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this all develops in the next week, if, if not months. Uh, Rob Dibble joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. He's got a phenomenal afternoon drive show um, up in Connecticut that I'm on quite frequently, and when I am, I love it. Uh, I so appreciate your time on this Sunday morning, uh, Dibs. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. You too. Thanks, Anita. Anita Mark with you here on 98.7 ESPN on this uh, Sunday morning. And uh, I know we've got some callers on. I'm going to get to you in just a second. Um, I, I said this last week, and, uh, and and I just sometimes I like to share some personal stuff on the show uh, because y- you guys invest your your. I think nothing is. I think the greatest gift is somebody's time, and and the fact that we've got a number of people here who uh, who, who spend time listening to the show, whether it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, or the full three hours tonight. Today it's three and a half. Um, you know, I, I like to uh, share what's going on with me in, in my life, in my world. And uh, last week I shared, Brian, if you recall, you know, when football season is is here, my life is very different. I, I pretty much have no life, right? I've got this gambling show that I do on Friday nights and then um, and then Saturday radio show, Sunday radio show and TV. And so um, pretty much life and, and my social life stops ex- existing, period. And, and I'm not complaining. Like, it's my favorite time of the year. It's football, you know. You know me, I love football. So I made a commitment, or not a commitment, but a promise to myself that when football season was over, I've lived here in New York for about 10 years. And so I made a promise to myself that when football season was over, that and before the weather starts getting good, because once the weather starts getting good, you know anything about me, I'm going to be on a golf course somewhere, or maybe I'm going to be hiking, playing tennis, whatever. I like to do stuff outside. But while the weather's not great and it's still cold out, you know, I've lived here in the, in, in New York for over 10 years, almost 12 years, and like I've never been to the Met. Right. Like um, I went to the Guggenheim last week. And so today I'm going to go to the Botanical Gardens and there's an orchid show there with Jeff Lethem that I'm going to go see this afternoon. And so um, I'm just I'm making a commitment to myself and I want to expand my sports horizons and I want to go out of that sports box and take advantage of all that New York and the tri-state area has to offer. And so I just share this with you just to say, you know, pass it, pass it forward, play it forward, you know, uh, go out of your box sometimes and um, do some things that you wouldn't normally do. 
on a given Sunday or a given Saturday or maybe one day of the week. And um, so I'm really excited. That's what I'm doing after the show. I'm, I'm going to head to the Bronx and go check out the Botanical Gardens. And there's a special or- orchid show with Jeff Lethem that I'm going to go check out. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Just a little personal note. Um, something different. Something new. 800-919-3776. Let's go to Dave in Queens. Dave, you're up. Welcome in. Thanks, Anita. Um, what prompted me to call was I was listening to the great interview with Dibble, and I like Dibble a lot. And I He's great, isn't he? I watched him. Yep. I, yeah, I mean, I, he was my type of ball player as a pitcher when I watched him and this nasty boys. They were my type of players. But I got to preface the call by saying what prompted me to call was his comment when he said, all the, and he said this to Anita, he said, the, all the players want to do is grow the game. Now, I spit out literally, I said, like, people use that expression a lot, I spit out my food. I literally did spit out my food when he said that because what do you mean by that? I would love to ask him. I'll even call him on the show this week, okay? If you can give his um, show again a plug, I will call him, and I'll ask him direct. What did he mean by they want to grow the game? All they, I mean, what, because they smile a couple times? I mean, they, they don't do anything to grow the game, in my opinion. The video games grow the game more than the players. Now, you could say that's their image. And they get, but let, the but let the me. Players themselves, they don't take batting practice. I mean, how you grow the game? How, but how, let, but how let me, Rob But Dave, that? let me ask you this. Let me ask. Don't you feel that their hands are t- like, okay, growing the game. Doesn't growing the game mean that, you know, you want to increase your fan base? How, how you, you, They can't even flip a bat. Like, like, I mean, like he said. I, Go ahead. Like they're victims. The players are victims. Like they just want to grow the game. How are they? They can grow the game by taking batting practice or signing autographs before the game or being cordial. They're nothing but cold hearted, like on the side. Like they're not really, you know, like they used to be. Like Rob probably grew the game more than any player today wants to grow the game. Rob probably and his, his crew back in the day did want to grow the game, but I don't believe the players now want to grow the game at all. And he said that. He said. They all they want to do is grow the game. Like that's what's holding us back here. Yeah, I, like, I mean, that, but, that here, video, but yeah, yeah. here, here's here's the thing, Dave, and I appreciate yeah. the phone call, and, and, and it, it it is a it is a good conversation to have, right? Like, but like I, I think, you know, I, I'm I'm not a huge baseball fan. I, I watch, you know, obviously I watch the Yankees, I watch the Mets. I'm really excited to see what the Mets are going to do this season with the addition of Scherzer in, in that pitching rotation, and you know, the Yankees are always relevant. So. You know, but I'm sure because I've lived here and, and, and host sports talk radio, you know, I, I, I do tune in, obviously, to the Mets and the Yankees. But, you know, do I really get it? Do I really get into baseball? Like if I was in Miami, for example, if I was in Miami, would I be watching Major League Baseball with the Florida Marlins? Heck no, I would not. Let's be honest. Like, I'm being totally honest. Like would I have to follow baseball because this is what I do for a living? Absolutely. But like, you know, where, where and how am I getting like really invested uh, and and I think for the younger generation, you know, it's it's about it's about being cool, it's about being hip. Yes, it's it's social media and and, and and all of that where we're at. But like, I think a lot of quote unquote baseball etiquette should be thrown out the window. Like flipping a bat, staring somebody down, uh, a, a, a number a number of things. I, I just I I think a lot can change in regard to making baseball cooler for. A generation that, you know, when you when you say trying to grow baseball, um, trying to tap into a generation that I think finds baseball to be boring or too long or whatever the case may be, um, I, I think and and I think that the rules that are in place for a number of these guys, 
uh, to better their image and to better their brand individually, I think have their hands tied. Just, just again, just my two cents. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.